You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. What we uh, are focusing on in this series, and it is a long series, 11 weeks, because it coincides with a small group Bible study we're doing this spring that's entitled Real Marriage. So it's going to last for 11 weeks. We're in week number three, or part three, uh, of the sermon uh, series, and, uh, and the things don't run right together. In other words, if you're in a small group, you're not studying tonight, if we get to, because of the weather, uh, what I am preaching on today. I'm kind of a week ahead to give you a chance to maybe uh, you know, digest and process some of what's said each week before you get to your small group the following week. Uh, so our topic today is this. We're talking about men in marriage, men in, uh, in marriage. Uh, ladies, try and be kind to the guys today, uh, you know, as I, as I preach to them. Uh, one reason is this, in two weeks, since I'll not be here next week, I'll be preaching to the ladies so they may get back at you at that time and have the last say uh, on it if they're bold enough to do that. I, I doubt it. They'd be afraid they wouldn't get to eat or the clothes wouldn't be washed or something like that. But, uh, but anyway, uh, today that's our topic, men in marriage. Uh, ha- having said that, I kind of want to ask you uh, a question that I'll come back to at the end, and, and that is, where are you? I mean, as a, as a man in marriage and in a family, where are you? Uh, because one of the greatest problems we're having in our culture uh, takes place today because of men not being present and active in their role in the marriage or as fathers. Uh, so that's a question for you to think about that we'll come back to. Uh, a more pressing question might be this today. And that is, who are you? Do you understand who, as a man in marriage, you are supposed to be? Uh, let me kind of illustrate that before we get into some scriptures that, that we'll look at today. If you have a company that really starts to tank and go downhill, ultimately, who is it that's responsible for it? The CEO or the boss, right? If you have uh, a sports team, that just can't win any games at all. Normally, whose head gets put on the chopping block first? The coach. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a president that, uh, or a king or whatever country, and that country is really in really bad shape, then you know, most of the time the accountability needs to be, needs to be there. If you've got a, a, an army or a, a battle taking place, and there's an officer that's in charge of that battle, and things don't go very well, ultimately the way they look at things in the military is whoever the highest commanding officer is, he's the one that's held accountable for what happened in that battle. Now the reason I use all those illustrations is this. As far as God is concerned, the men in the marriage relationship, God looks at us, I think, with a higher degree of accountability than he looks at anyone else. And here's why I say that. In Genesis 3, after Eve had sinned and then Adam followed suit, and God shows up in the garden, who did God call out for to start with? Adam. Eve was the first one that partook of the fruit, so why didn't God show up and say, Eve? He, he called Adam out first. Now, he does talk to Eve in the process, but to begin with, God shows up and God is holding Adam accountable. 
I know Eve ate the fruit, but it sounds like when you read the scripture, especially when you kind of look at the way it's structured in the Hebrew, it sounds like to me that what really happened is this. Adam's standing there watching Eve do it and doesn't say anything about it. And then she passes it to him and he partakes also. So Eve does have some accountability because God talks to her about it. But when God shows up on the scene after that took place, the very first person that God talked to was Adam. He called Adam out to begin with. And I think that shows there's a maybe a higher degree of responsibility that God views upon the, the man in the marriage relationship. To enforce that a little bit, let me show you some verses here in Romans. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who was that? Adam. Even though Eve was the first one that partook of the fruit. And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Then later in that chapter, verse 17, it says, If because of one man's trespass, talking about Adam again, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. One man got us into the trouble. One man came as the God-man, Jesus Christ, went to the cross, shed his blood for our sins so we can be redeemed from that fall that took place. A little bit later in the chapter. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's, talking about Adam's disobedience, so many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. God called Adam out. Is Eve accountable? Yes. But he calls Adam out to start with. And I think that gives us a pattern for how God views the marriage relationship. That there's a higher degree of responsibility placed upon the man as far as God is concerned. A lot of times we jump to the idea as men that we're in charge. We're the boss, you know. And I don't think that's completely the way we ought to view it. And you'll see that as we go go through the message. In Corinthians, we're told this. For a man ought not to cover his head since he's the image and the glory of God. In other words, God is saying there through the pen of Paul that that the man is kind of supposed to be like the reflection of the glory of God. What God is doing in our lives, we're supposed to, to reflect that. And then it goes on and it says, but the woman is the, the glory of man. So that being the case, if I have a relationship with God through Christ and I'm supposed to be giving forth the image of the glory of God and then God turns right around and says, but the woman is the glory of, of man, what he's really telling us there is this, just as you and I ought to be reflecting the glory of God, the, the woman to a certain degree reflects the image of us in their lives. So if, if things aren't exactly like you think it needs to be in your marriage, could it be that your wife's reflecting what you're giving her to reflect? Could, could it be that you're giving the wrong image and what she's reflecting is just what she's getting? We, we need to think about just maybe how God looks at that and how God, God holds us accountable, how God wants 
men to understand that we will have to give an account before God. All of us, I mean, men and women, all will, will give an account to a holy God. But I believe the Bible teaches that if, you know, beyond just being a man, if you are, are blessed to be married, then you're also accountable to a certain degree for your wife. And then beyond that, if you're blessed to have children, you're also accountable to a certain degree for your children. And we need to understand this idea of the scripture of the man being, being head because that's a terminology that the Bible uses it involves more than some type, of, some type of position. It involves responsibility. It involves the, the man being responsible before God. The word head that's used in the Bible literally means this. It, it means, uh, they're bring it up on the screen, but it means what you can most readily, readily seize in the sense of seizing something. Is what is most readily taken hold of. Now, that's what God did. Eve sinned, Adam followed suit, God shows up in the garden, and he reaches down to the head to start with and seizes the head because the head's accountable. That's what the word means. It, it talks about us being accountable. He held Adam accountable. It's not some kind of some kind of privileged role to where we just sit back and we think, I'm in charge. You do what I want you to do, kids. You do what I want you to do. And let's leave out the fact that there's responsibility that God places upon us that he's holding us accountable for. In Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be in Ephesians back and forth a lot in this series, and I'm going to read all these verses again, but I want you to really notice the first part of it in how the word head is, is used here in the first part of Ephesians 5. But look at these verses in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. By the way, wives, let me just let you know that word submit does not mean a derogatory term to you. It's a military term in the Greek. It talks about a private for our culture. Uh, you know, I'll use our army instead of their army because we don't have a connection with that. But it's like a private being underneath uh, submission to a sergeant and so forth all the way up to a general. It doesn't mean you're less important. Jesus died for a private as much as he died for a general. Amen? So I submit your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should the wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. By the way, let me stop and, and, and mention this also. Every time as I read in the scriptures about the responsibilities between a wife and a husband, can you guess where God always drops the largest load? On the man. Some of you ladies might not like what it said right there, be you know, submissive to your husband. But then he turns around in the next sentence and say, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Biggest roles put on us. Biggest responsibility, biggest accountability is placed there. So he goes on, he says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, 
or any other such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Next slide. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, there's a lot in that that also deals with the ladies, but that's not who we're talking to today. We're talking about men in marriage. So we're going to just look at some things out of Ephesians 5, and and God, through Paul, kind of exhorts the men, exhorts the husband to some things that we need to be aware of. To get a big picture of what he's saying, the, the first thing that I want you to notice this morning is this about marriage. Marriage is really a, a relational type of covenant. That's what marriage is. That's the way it's presented in the Bible. That's the way it's presented in Ephesians 5. Marriage is a covenant relationship. It, it's not just you know, some type of business deal. It's not just some type of agreement. There's a huge difference between a business deal and some type of agreement and a covenant. So if we're going to understand what a covenant is, if marriage is a covenant relationship, back up. We need to understand what it isn't to begin with. A covenant is not a business contract. That is, that is not the picture of a covenant in the Scriptures. The Bible is full of covenants. God made covenants with men. He made covenants with the children of Israel. He's made a covenant with us through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It is not a business contract. We enter into business contracts all the time. You, you can enter a business contract when you buy a house, when you get a credit card, when you buy a car, when you, you know, sign up to get a cell phone. All those are contracts, and a contract can be broken. If you don't keep your end of the house deal, when you go and finance a house, what's going to happen? They're going to foreclose and they're going to take the house away. They'll come pick the car up. They'll shut the credit card off. They will, will turn the, the phone off to where you can't use it if you break your end of the contract. But what works in business, that's not the way we're to look at marriage because marriage is not to be like a contract that we break. Marriage instead is, is, is to be more like a promise. See, think about this. You and I ought to be thrilled to death. If you know Christ is your Savior, you ought to be very glad that a covenant and a contract are not similar. God made a covenant with us through Jesus. And God tells us that through Jesus we have everlasting life. God will not break his end of the deal. Aren't you glad? You better be because I dare say you've broken your end of the deal and so have I. There's a huge difference between a covenant and a contract. Our salvation is based upon a covenant, not a contract. God will never, ever break that. And we need to view marriage the same way because that's how God presents marriage in Scripture. He presents it as a covenant. He does not present it like it's just some kind of contract that can be frivolously broken. You know, one of the worst pictures, I think, or images of a contract being used in marriage is. Have you heard of the prenuptial agreement before? Have you heard of that one? I, I didn't worry with that because when I was married, I didn't own enough that I didn't care if Becky took it all anyway, you know. 
I think we had a couple hundred dollars to our name, and we took a hundred dollars and paid rent for the first month in the apartment. We went to, we took the other hundred dollars, and and I've been married a long time, okay, and and went to Gatlinburg and spent I don't know three or four days there, a hundred dollars. <laughs> you might can spend an hour there now for a hundred dollars. But people will draw up prenuptial agreements because they're trying to protect themselves and they want their marriage to be all about them. And a prenuptial agreement is almost this. It's almost like on the front end of the marriage deciding how you're going to dissolve the marriage before it even takes place. And yet that's the way people approach it a lot of times. They approach marriage like it's a contract. Well, if I don't like it, I'll just get out of the contract. They, they approach it like they're, they're laying out the rules for dissolution before the union ever even takes place of marriage. But that is not what marriage is supposed to be. Marriage is not just a business contract. Instead, marriage is a covenant that really represents this. Next slide. What covenant is, is this. A covenant is a relational promise. A covenant is a relationship that has promises attached to it. We have a covenant. If you're a Christian, you have a covenant that was provided by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, so that through faith in Him, you can have everlasting life. That, that's the picture of a covenant. It is a, a promise. It wouldn't be a stretch to say that the Bible is really a collection of a bunch of covenants. As a matter of fact, a lot of times we call the Old Testament the Old Covenant and the New Testament the New Covenant because of that. Our salvation is really referred to as the New Covenant. And to kind of boil it down in a phrase, here's what God tells us. Here's basically God's covenant with us. I will be your God and you'll be my people and I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what God tells us in our salvation. He promises us he'll be our God, we're his people, and he'll never ever break that promise. He will never ever forsake us and leave us. So guys, if, if we're as the head of the marriage relationship... Our wives ought to expect us to say things like this. I will be your husband and you'll be my wife and we will make a people. That's the thing the guys like to talk about. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just like God makes a covenant relationship with us, when we enter into marriage, we're making a covenant relationship with our wives. We are promising, as God makes us a promise of salvation, we're promising to our wives that I will be their, your husband, I will love you, I will never ever leave you or forsake you. That ought to be the way we view marriage. That we consider it to be a, a covenant instead of it being some type of contract that is just frivolously broken. Matter of fact, at least two times, it's implied a whole lot in the Bible, but at least two times in the Bible, marriage is specifically called a covenant. In Proverbs chapter 2, it's talking about that uh, loose woman. In Proverbs 2, and it says, uh, you know, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets what? The covenant of her God. It's referring to marriage as a covenant. In Malachi chapter 2, some of the guys were saying, well, why is not God answering our prayers? Why is not he receiving our offerings and things like this? They're saying, why, why does he not? And here is the answer. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by what? By, by covenant. Not by a contract. 
but a covenant relationship. That's why God views divorce and unfaithfulness and, and adultery in such a dim view in the scriptures because the relationship that a man and his wife are supposed to have is supposed to give a picture of the relationship that God has with us in the covenant relationship that he has with us through Christ. We need to view marriage not as a contract, but instead that it is a relational promise that is made. The word covenant itself in the Hebrew is a Hebrew word hesed. Uh, a lot of times in the Bible, it's translated uh, like this. It's, it's called a covenant. It's called covenant love. It's called love and kindness. It's translated mercy sometimes or steadfast love or loyal devotion or loyal love or commitment, uh, loyalty or reliability. All those are ways that the word hesed is translated. In the, uh, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a kid's Bible, I really like the way that it translates the word hesed, talking about a covenant. Here's the way it's translated in that kid's Bible. Back up, please. Translates hesed as a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always, and forever love. Now think about that. You've got a kid's Bible that needs to understand how God loves them. The type of relationship it means for God to have a covenant with them and the way it's described for them is this God's love is never stopping God's love is never giving up God will not break his love he is always and forever in love with you that's what our children need to understand but guess what guys our wives need to understand that also because the same word talks about a covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. We ought to be offering them a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That needs to be the type of relationship that we as men offer to our wives. Instead of looking for reasons to break up, instead of trying to point our fingers and play the blame game back and forth and say, you didn't keep your end. Well, you didn't keep your end. Instead of that, we need to view it as a, as a covenant, love relationship. You see, marriage is a promised covenant. It's not a, it's not a contract. And maybe to illustrate the difference between the two, look at this. A, con- a contract, back up, Grace. Or back up one, I'm sorry. No, you're right. I, I backed you up one too many. Thank you. We're not in sync today. Uh, a, a contract is about negotiating terms that benefit me. That's a contract. A contract is something that benefits me. It's selfish. That's why the bank draws a contract to where if you don't pay the house payment, they don't lose all that money. It's about them being sure that they get their money. A covenant is about me giving myself to you for your well-being which is servanthood. You see how different those two things are. It's not about what I want. It's about me trying to be what you need. A covenant is about the other person's benefit. A contract is about my benefit. It's about me making it all about me. Look at it in these these terms on the next slide. Contract thinking goes like this. It's all about me. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to get what I want. God wants me to get what I need. That's the way you think if you're just viewing marriage as a, as a contract. I'm supposed to get out of it what I want. Instead, guys, the way we ought to view marriage is a covenant. 
which the way we ought to think in terms of a covenant is this. God wants me to become what you need. God wants me to love you as you need to be loved. God wants me to serve you as you need. God wants me to invest in you as you need. See, I just use Becky and myself for an illustration. Our marriage should not be about me just getting what I want. I need to view her and try and make sure she gets what she needs out of the relationship. And she needs to view me and be sure I'm getting what I need out of the relationship. And that way our needs are met. But it's not a contract. It's not to where you're just trying to get something for yourself. It needs to be, it needs to be like, a, like a covenant. A covenant's really this. A covenant is a husband and a wife being in covenant together with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And they're also in covenant with each other. So the first thing I wanted to give you this morning is simply that. Don't view marriage as a contract. Don't be looking at how you can get in and get out of it. View it as a covenant. It's a promise covenant. Second thing I want you to get is this. Every covenant has a responsible head. Every covenant has a responsible head. Who's responsible for our salvation ultimately? Who is? God. I'm not responsible for my salvation. I can't save myself. God's the one that makes the promise. God's the one that sent his son. God's the one that provides for my salvation. But in terms of a marriage relationship, it is a covenant. So it also means there's a responsible head in the marriage, in the wedding. We read these verses earlier. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, like I said, we'll, we'll read that and we'll jump to things like, well, that means I'm in charge. That means, you know, that, guys, I, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say because, you know, the ladies will probably enjoy this one. But being the head of the marriage, being the head in the marriage relationship does not mean that you sit in your recliner, and you control the remote. They're not saying a lot because they know I'm preaching to them in two weeks. But that's, that's how some guys view headship. I'm here. I'm in control. You do this. You do that. You take care of this. But that's not the picture of being a responsible head in the home. It might be a picture of someone trying to be head, but you're missing the responsibility part. What did I tell you head meant earlier? It meant that God came in and he held who accountable? Adam to start with. Being the head in the relationship has responsibilities attached to it. What responsible headship is not looking at it on the negative side. Back up, please. Responsible headship is not, does not mean that you're boss. Responsible headship is not this idea of being head means that you're the boss. It's not like you're a boss at work. It's not like you're there just to delegate everything out to your wife and everything out to the kids and, and you're just delegating out the duties to them. That's not what Headship means, biblical headship in the family does not mean that you're just the boss. It means you're responsible. 
And we'll look at that in more detail here in just a second. Neither, neither does biblical headship or responsible headship mean that in general terms that men are over women. Because when we were reading a moment ago, it's talking about wives being submissive to their husbands. It's talking about the husband being the head of the wife. So in terms of marriage, not in terms of gender, does God place a man in headship. In other words, men in the world aren't over all the women in the world. Some of us that are dads ought to thank God for that. I would hate for my daughters just to have to think they're underneath every man they come in contact with. Would you? That is not what it means. It does not mean just being boss. It's not gender related. Being in, you see, Jesus is the head of the church. And being in a relationship with Jesus and looking at the church and how, and how Jesus relates to the church gives us a picture of what it means to really be head. So what responsible headship means is this. Responsible headship should mean this. Biblical headship means being like Jesus. That's what it means. That's why Jesus is used as an illustration here in Ephesians 5. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Biblical headship is not you and I being the boss. It's you and I striving to be more and more like Jesus in the relationship. I'm to be loving my wife like Christ loved the church. That's what we're literally told in that passage of Scripture. We're to be like Jesus to our wives. Now, I can hear the excuses start to come up. Well, preacher, you don't know my wife. My wife's hard to get along with. My, my wife's rebellious sometimes. My wife disappoints me a lot of times. You know what? I might not know your wife, but I know the church because I'm part of the church. And guess what? The church lets Jesus down a lot of times. The church disappoints God a lot of times. The church fails to live up to all the expectations that God has for us. But guess what? Jesus loves us anyway. It's not an out for us to try and say, well, but you don't know my wife. You don't know how difficult she can be and how maybe undependable or unthankful she can be. No, but I know the church. I know the bride of Jesus, and Jesus loves us anyway. And that gives us a picture of how we ought to, to love, our, to love our, our spouses, to love our wives, as Jesus loved the church. Look at some words that are in Ephesians 5. It talks about Jesus' love in the church. It was a sacrificial love because it said he gave himself. Amen? You and I are to love our wives like that. We are to give of ourselves. We're to sacrificially love our wives. It talks about washing with the word of God. God, Jesus, is wanting the church to be a perfect bride one day and what he does to clean us up motivated by his sacrificial love he's taking the word and he's cleaning us so it's our responsibilities as husbands for us to take the word of God and help our families help our wives help our children and teach them and help them to be all they can be based on what the word of God has to say it talks about Jesus making his bride holy and God is the one that's holy, holy, holy. And one practical way to think about the word holy is this. God is different than anyone else. So if, if you want your wife to be different, if you want your children to be different as a, as a man, then just maybe you need to love them right, sacrificially, and be washing their lives with the Bible and changing them to where they are different. 
That passage talks about how we're to love our wives like our own bodies. We're to nourish our wives and care for our wives. We're to cherish our wives. It says we're to become one flesh with them. And while that does have some sexual aspect attached to it, it goes a lot deeper than that. You being one with your wife means much more than just jumping under the covers with her. It means that you need to be one with her emotionally and through all things be one with your wife. See, a covenant relationship with our wives is not us just thinking we're the boss and having some privileged position. A covenant relationship with our wives means that you and I as husbands have the responsibility to be like Jesus is toward the church to our wives. Biblical headship also means this. Biblical responsible headship, you and I as men, as husbands being the head also means this. We need to remember who is really the head. In other words, the one that's head of the church, the capital head, with capital letters, H-E-A-D, is Jesus. He's the head. You and I, as husbands, we're the lowercase H-E-A-D. And if we'll keep that in perspective, that Jesus is boss, Jesus is in charge, Jesus is the head, that will help guide us in the way that we function as the leaders in our homes and the leaders of our wives. If we'll understand that Jesus is really the head and we follow what his headship means to our lives, we follow the example of Jesus. We love our wives like we should, nurture them as we should, care for them as we should. We need to remember who really the head is, and the head is Jesus. What happens in a church when a church is maturing, if people in the church, if, they are, if they're reading their Bibles, they're praying, they're serving Jesus, they're finding out more what it means to be like Him, as they mature, here's what happens. They're becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what maturity is, spiritually in our lives. So you and I as husbands... We need to become more and more and more like Jesus because here's the deal with that. We've got a wife we're responsible for and children we're responsible for. And if we're going to help them be all they need to be, we need to be all we can be by becoming more and more like Jesus. Does that make sense? We need to follow the example empowered by the Holy Spirit to do all of these things with our wives, to cherish, to nurture, to love, to pursue, to forgive them like God forgives us. Will our wives make mistakes? Sure they will. Do we make mistakes? Probably more than they do as men. That's why forgiveness has to be active in in the relationship. Here's the bottom line, guys, of what I'm saying. Maybe what we need to do is is view our wives like like a garden. If you've got a garden that you're caring for and it's not as healthy and producing as much as you want it to and a lot of weeds there and and things like that, you know what that might be reflective of? That might be reflective that you and I are not being the gardener we're supposed to be. That we're not caring for the plants like it need to be cared for. A few years ago, uh, Jessica gave Becky an orchid uh, for Mother's Day, I think, or something like that. So... uh, uh, we actually this past year I went online and figured out how to have it and you know put some over in another pot so we've actually got two there but they're you know pretty sensitive so we have to keep it in a particular place in the kitchen uh, where it gets the right amount of light and then you have to be sure it has the right you know moisture level and everything like that if you're going to expect those really pretty delicate flowers to come out 
The reason I'm telling you that, just maybe if your wife is not blooming the way you think she should bloom, you realize it might be your fault as a man. If my wife were not to be blooming exactly as I want her to bloom, maybe it's my fault as a man, as a husband, because I'm not nurturing her and caring for her like I need to. If you want your garden to look better, you need to care for your garden. If you want your wife to be all that she needs to be, just maybe you need to care for her more. We're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. We're to love them, nourish them, even protect them, guard them. Guys, that means sometimes if you find out your wife's got a mean boss, there may come a day in time you have to go sit down with that mean boss and say, I need to talk to you for a minute about the way you're treating my wife. Those of you that are fathers that have kids, you need to be sure that you don't ever let your kids put your wife down and treat your wife wrong. We live in a world that one out of three women have been abused in some way. Guess where the abuse happens most of the time? From guys. And a lot of times from their own husbands. There are a lot of perverts out in the world. We need to protect our wives even from, from perverts. I won't get into the details of this except to say it was at a church somewhere else from here. But I had a deacon at another church out of this area. So you can't figure out where it is or anything else respond to Becky in the wrong way and I'm telling you it was in the wrong way and she called to tell me about it in just a few minutes he was sitting in my living room and I was telling him that would never happen again then why did you why did you do that I mean he was a deacon you might could have gotten in trouble I didn't care if I got in trouble that's my wife we need to care and love and protect our wives One last thing about biblical headship, what responsible headship really looks like, and we need to focus based on what was said in the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning, and that is this. Biblical headship also means the husband, see the capital letters, is the head. Look at the verse of Scripture. For the husband is becoming the head of the wife, even as Christ is becoming the head of the church. Is that what it says? I I don't think that's the way it reads the the bible says and and ladies i'm just bringing you the mail i didn't write the letter okay the bible says for the husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church is jesus the head of the church yes Now, once again, before some of you guys think, thank God the preacher got to this point, and now I can go home and tell my wife, I'm in charge. You're missing what I told you headship is about. Headship is about responsibility. So when it says that, men, when it says that you are the head, the husband is the head of the wife, it means that you have responsibility to care for her and love her and treat her right. It doesn't mean you go home and act like you're a king on the throne. That's nowhere in what that passage of Scripture says. Instead, it tells you 
that you are responsible. I realize that because of liberalism and feminism and the media and everything else, people scoff at the idea of saying the husband is the head of the wife. Guys, all I can do is preach what the Bible says. The Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife. But guys, you need to understand, don't take it out of context. You're supposed to love them like Christ loved the church. And if you love them like Christ loved the church, she won't have a bit of problem in you being the head. There's a balance in that taking place. So let me ask you, kind of, how's that going? If your wife's like a garden and she's not being all that you want her to be, do you realize it might just be your fault? If you're disappointed in the way things have been going and you've been wanting just to point the finger at your wife, you realize since the Bible says you are the head, God is holding you responsible. You see, the question is not whether or not the husband is the head. God says the husband is the head. The question is how good of a job is he doing as the head? And that means, guys, sometimes you might be the head, but guess what? She might be the referee. (laughs) And she may blow the whistle and say, that's a foul, that's a foul. You stepped out of line here, you're out of bounds over here. That's fine for her to do that. I need mine to be a referee sometimes for me. Last thing I I want you to get this morning is, is this. Since, since marriage is a covenant, it's not a contract. Don't think of it as a contract. That just You can break and dissolve whenever you want to. It's a covenant relationship where we promise as husbands to oversee that covenant. Like God oversees our salvation. The third thing I want you to see is this. Since God views us as being responsible, then we need to be a responsible man in marriage. Marriage is a covenant or a promised relationship where the head, and that's the man based on what the Bible said, the head is responsible for that promise, for that covenant. You and I need to view ourselves as men, as being responsible men in marriage, responsible for the promises of the covenant. I told you when I started the message, I asked you the question, where are you at? Let me ask it again. I mean, where are you as a man when it comes to the marriage relationship? Where are you as a man when it comes to the family? Because one of the greatest ills in our culture today is taking place because the men are absent. Because men have abdicated their position. They're not filling the role as being responsible in headship within their families. There are a lot of cultures today that that kids don't even know where their dads are or where their dads might be. In our culture, we almost make it sound like you're, you're a man if you can drink the most beer, if you can eat the most food, if you can win the most fights, if you can cuss the meanest. That's the way culture presents us being men. God, on the other hand, presents you and I as being a man if we'll try and be more like Jesus and love our wives like Christ loved the church and care for them and love them and care for our children and love them and be involved in their lives. 
Now, guys, if I'm having to make a decision, do I want to be God's man or do I want to be a man's man? I think I'm going to choose to be God's man because being a man's man won't matter one bit in eternity. Now, let me put that in context before you, you know, for you just for a minute. In case some of you don't know me very well and you're thinking, well, that's easy for a preacher to say because they're supposed to be all meek and mild and everything else. Yeah, you talk to my wife and my kids sometimes. I spent 10 years in law enforcement. I'm telling you, I can be a man's man if I have to be a man's man, but I want to prefer to be God's man over being a man's man. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not trying to brag. I'll tell you, I don't care how big anyone is in this room. I'm not scared of either one of you, and I've never met anybody in my life the whole time I was in law enforcement that I was scared of, and I never had anyone hit me in the face the whole time I spent 10 years in law enforcement, and I hauled a bunch of them to jail. So, I'm giving you a context. But I don't want that to sound like I'm bragging because I'm not proud of that. I, would, I do want to be proud of my marriage. I do want to be proud of my wife. I do want to be proud of my kids. And when it comes down to being a man's man or being God's man, I want to choose to be, to be God's man and be responsible. Think about it in these terms. Jesus came into this world. He went to the cross. And whose sins did he die for? Mine, for yours. Jesus came and he died on the cross for something that was not his fault. You understand that? Jesus came and he was responsible for our sins and he suffered and died on the cross for something that was not his fault. He wasn't to blame, but he did it. And that gives us a model as men, just maybe how we ought to be in the relationship. Everything is not your wife's fault or your kid's fault or somebody else's fault. God looks at us as being the head and we need to be responsible. It doesn't matter if it's their fault or whose fault it is. The buck needs to stop here when it comes to men being the head and men leading and loving their families like they're supposed to. So having talked about responsibilities, I'm going to give you four primary responsibilities and then we're going to close in just a moment. Here's responsibility number one. Your first responsibility is to be a Christian. Now, the message today was men in marriage, but I'm talking to everyone here, whether you're a man or a woman. Your first priority and responsibility in life is to know Christ as your Savior. If you're someone here today that's trying to fix your marriage and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I suggest to you that's the first step you need to take? That you admit that you have a need in your life because you're a sinner. You cannot save yourself. You need to be forgiven of your sins. Jesus died on the cross for you. You exercise faith in Him and faith in Him alone and become a Christian. That is the first step that you have in the marriage that God wants you to have. And from there, you're doing things like read your Bible and pray and serve Him and growing as a Christian. But that's your first responsibility Men and women. But guys, since I'm talking to you, that's your first responsibility to know Jesus. Here's your second responsibility. Your second responsibility is to your spouse. That means husbands loving their wives and wives loving their husbands. For us caring for each other and loving each other. It's your responsibility to respectfully and lovingly care for each other. 
Your third responsibility is to your children. If God so blesses you that you have kids, your third responsibility is to your children. We have a world today that 40% of the kids in our nation go to bed without a dad. And in some ethnic communities, 70 and 80 and 90% are going to bed without a dad present. It's important that we be involved in the lives of our kids. You can't just delegate it to your wife. You can't delegate it to the children's pastor or to the youth pastor. If you're a man that has children, it's your responsibility. But can I give you a warning? Don't invert these things because if you invert these things, you're setting up a path of destruction already. If you make your children more important than your spouse, that's not going to make the marriage relationship work out. One day the kids are grown and they're gone. If you make your children to be God and they're more important to you than God himself, you're setting in order things that will not work right within the family relationship. It is God first, knowing you're a Christian first, your spouse next, and then your children. And guys, here's one big one that we trip over all the time. A lot of men trip over. Number four, you're a worker. Number four is your job. Number four is your career. Your job is not your God. You're not married to your job. You are married to your wife. You have children that God has blessed you with. If in fact you're a father and you need to take time to love and care for your kids and your children. Your job is not the most important thing in your life. A lot of times the guys will say, well, I'm being responsible. I'm being the breadwinner. I'm bringing the money home and it's paying the bills. That's part of it, but it's more than that. Your wife and your children need you emotionally. They need you involved in their lives. Now, let me deal with the single guys for a minute because right now the single guys are thinking, I got off the hook today. If you're single and you're not married, you need to listen to everything that I've talked about today because God holds you accountable as a man, but if you ever become married, He holds you accountable as a husband for your wife and your kids. And we live also in a culture today to where expanding or extending adolescence is almost celebrated. You know what I mean by that? Just keep living at home and letting your parents take care of you. And when you're 16 and you go to your mom and you ask for money, that's kind of cute and your mom doesn't mind that. When you're 26 and you do it, it's disturbing. When you're 36 and that's still the role of life that you're living in, it's humiliating for you. If you get to be 46 and you're still trying to live like that, you ought to punch yourself in the face and wake up. You see, I guess the question that comes from that, that all of us ought to ask for a single guy or a married guy or a married lady or whatever is this, am am I even taking responsibility for my own life? Are you as a single person, are you taking responsibility for your own life? Am I as a husband, as a dad, am I taking responsibility for my life? Is my wife taking responsibility for her life? Because that's a question all of us need to answer. Response time. Every husband in here, stand up. Stand up. Just the guys, just the husbands. 
Whether your spouse is here or not, I, you know, if you're a husband, I want you to stand up. I want the rest of you to look around the room for a minute. Guys, I, I didn't say anything about this in the first service, but I kind of like our ratio. Because a lot of churches wouldn't have this many men to stand up. Because they're at home, and the ladies are the ones coming to church bringing the kids. But I want everyone here to turn around, and I want you to kind of look at these men that are standing. And I hope right now you and your heart will covet between you and God to pray for these men, for these husbands. If you're a dad, but not married, and you're here right now, I want you to stand too. I've got to, we've got some dads here that aren't married with kids. If you're a dad, I want you to stand. You got any guys that are engaged? Somebody tried to keep sitting at the first service and didn't stand up. I called him. I said, you're getting married this weekend. Stand up. your wife is here and I'm going to have to I'll just come over to where my wife's at instead of making her come to me because I can see the screen from where she's at if your wife's here and you're standing I know we've got some guys that are ushers that are not right where their wives are I, I want you to move beside of your wife if you need to move to get beside of your wife move there and get beside of your wife And if you're a dad that's here and, and you have kids here but not a wife, I, I want you to do this with your kids. I want you to reach over and take your wife's hand. Or your kid's hand. And we're going to say some vows together. Looking at the screen. Just the men, guys, vow this with me. Number one, Jesus Christ, say it out loud. Jesus Christ will be loved and served by me. My wife will be sacrificially loved and served by me. My children, my family will be led by me. My wife and my children will be prayed over by me. The Bible will be open in our home by me. My children will be told about Jesus by me. I'm going to stop there for a minute. I want to reinforce that. That is not a duty. That's a privilege. Don't let somebody else be the first to tell your, your kids about Jesus. My church will be served by me. I promise this day to be the responsible head, following Jesus Christ, the true head. Now, guys, I want you to do this. With your wife still seated, I want you to lay your hands on your wives in a good way. <laughs> and as I lead us in prayer, I want you to pray for your wife. And wife, is that man, is that husband's praying for you? I want you to pray for him. And those of you that don't have someone here, pray, just pray for these couples. Father, God, I thank you that you loved us so much that you entered into a covenant relationship with us by sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Father, I thank you that you give us the example of what love should be, that it should be sacrificial in nature. But Father, help us right now as men, as we pray for our wives, that we would pray to love them as we should, to nurture them as we should. 
to care for them as we should, to be one with them in all ways. Father, I pray if there's someone here that does not know Christ as Savior, that you speak to their heart right now. Help decisions to be made that are life-changing, that changes not only families but eternities. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The band's going to play. And I ask everyone to stand along with these men that are standing. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, that's the first thing that you need to take care of today. I know the message has mainly been about marriage, but a lot of it used salvation as an illustration of marriage. And if Christ is not your Savior today, why not become part of His bride by saying yes to Jesus? Even though you just prayed together, there may still be a felt need in some of your lives as husbands and wives to maybe come down here to the front and and kneel and pray together. Maybe some of you need to make a commitment that when you get to where your spouse is at, because they're not here right now, as soon as you get in their presence today that you pray for them. And then maybe you apologize that you've, as men especially, looked at headship wrong. You've looked at it like you're the boss instead of looking at it like you're responsible. As God speaks to your heart, we invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.